How are we doing this morning? Doing good? Yeah? Awesome. Good. As uh, Cliff mentioned a second ago, um, I'm glad we all have gotten out of our turkey and dressing coma that we've been in for the past couple of days. If you decided to go Black Friday shopping like I had the awesome privilege to do with my wife, um, I'm glad you survived, and I'm glad that you didn't get trampled or stepped on or anything like that. And if you did, you at least made it here, which is awesome. Um, so as we have kind of gone throughout this whole Thanksgiving season, we're moving into the Christmas season, and the kind of holidays, right, I was kind of debating on what, you know, what am I supposed to bring to you, uh, and what is God telling me, hey, this is what, you know, we need to discuss, this is what the people need to hear, and that sort of thing, and I was beginning to think, well, the obvious thing to do would be to have a Thanksgiving sermon, right, because it's thankfulness, it's all about, you know, um, being thankful for what you have, and about everything like that, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense, that's the next logical step to go, we just had Thanksgiving, we're moving into you know, being generous when we talk about Christmas and gift giving and that sort of thing and Jesus giving his son and everything like that, right? And that would make logical sense to be the next step. Well, if you know anything about me at all, I am not logical and I make absolutely no sense. And I didn't want to be that person who does the traditional Thanksgiving sermon. So what I decided to do was take a totally different direction and go somewhere else. Um, but I think it's something that God's been working on me through. It's something that I think uh, people need to hear. And that's one of the big things that I sort of base what I'm up here for is because I don't want to get up here and just talk about something that I don't think is important or talk about something that I don't think we need. Um, but this, I think we do. Um, so I'm really excited about it. It's something that, like I said, God's been working on me for um, a couple weeks, actually. And the reason I started talking about it was I actually had uh, breakfast with Pastor Frank, uh, I think like a week ago. And he was just kind of talking to me, and he was asking me, hey, you know, like, what, what's God been doing in your life? You know, what's he working on you for? What's he doing with you? Um, you know, just kind of tell me, wh where are you at? And I got to thinking about it, and I kind of stared at him for a minute, and he was staring back at me, waiting for a response. And I was like, oh, you, like, you actually want me to answer that question. That's not like a rhetorical, like, inner spiritual question. Like, you actually want me to answer that. So as I was sitting there, and as I was thinking, it's like, okay, where, where has God taken me? What have I been doing? And there was one word that jumped out to me, and there's one word that God's really been working on me for the past couple weeks, and I'll give you the background story in a second, but that word was intentional. That word was intention, intentionality, right, like being intentional about doing something. So that's kind of where the basis of this sermon lies is in that word intentional. And I've titled actually this sermon uh, Intentional Walk, uh, and I did that as a sort of baseball reference, right, because I'm a baseball guy. Uh, baseball has been a huge, huge, huge part of my life since I was born, ever since T-ball, all the way up through some college. I played baseball. Uh, it's the game that I love. It's, it's something that I absolutely enjoy. It's something that I continue to enjoy even after college as I'm helping coach baseball and stuff now. It's, it's the game that I fell in love with. But even more than just playing and coaching the game, what I love the most about baseball is the strategy behind it. Because baseball is one of those sports that, no matter how athletic you are, not all of that really matters a lot of the time. A lot of times, it all what matters is the strategy behind it. Unlike basketball, usually when you play basketball, the most athletic and the best team wins because basketball is a sport about skill and athleticism. Baseball, on the other hand, is not necessarily about that. Baseball, on the other hand, is about strategy. It's about thinking. It's about how can we manipulate the situation better than our opponent. And a lot of times, the best and most athletic team in baseball doesn't always win. So I love that sort of strategy 
behind where baseball comes from. And the one position that that's most important in, in baseball, I think, at least, is the pitcher. Um, because the pitcher has the ability to dictate the outcome of baseball games more than any other position because you're the only one that touches the ball every single play. Um, so that's kind of the reason why I became a pitcher was because I liked having the ball in my hands most of the time. I didn't like, you know, I don't know, being out in the outfield and maybe getting, you know, five balls to me the entire game. I want to touch the ball every time. That's why I play the game. I don't play to just stand out there in the outfield. But also, I liked it because of the strategy. I liked it because the pitcher, your most important job is to think. Your most important job is to figure out, okay, what puts my team in the best position to win? As a pitcher, my job was to look at between every at-bat and to say, okay, what can I do to put my team in the best situation? Who's that up at bat? Uh, who's on base? Are they fast? Are they slow? Can this person at bat hit a home run? Like, what does he do? What are his tendencies? What pitches do I need to throw, right? All of that goes into the mind of a pitcher before a pitch is even thrown. And I loved that. Um, for one, I can think with the best of them. Athleticism, probably not. That's why I became a pitcher, right? Um, if you've ever tried to see me hit, it's not pretty. That's why I decided to become a pitcher. Even if you've watched me play church softball, to hit, it is not pretty, all right? These lip noodle arms don't really do too much to hit a ball out of the infield, all right? That's why I became a pitcher. But I loved it because of the strategy behind it. One of the strategic moves that pitchers use that I absolutely hated was the intentional walk, all right? And that's where this comes from. An intentional walk is essentially where you give the batter a free base. You throw three or four straight balls and you give it to them exactly, you give them exactly what they want, which is a free base. They're walking to first for free. As a pitcher, I hated that because I didn't get it. I was like, why am I giving this batter exactly what he wants? And my job as a pitcher is to get him out. So why in the world am I going to say, yeah, bro, just go ahead, take it? That kind of seems opposite of what my job would be. I hated it. It hurt my statistics, too, as a pitcher. I didn't like my statistics to be hurt. That I'm proud of those, right? I'm proud of my, you know, my strikeout-to-walk rate. I'm proud of that. I don't want to hurt that. But it's what's best for the team. And that's what I didn't understand when I was younger. Because here's the deal. If I got a batter up there who I know can hit it over the fence every single time, I would much rather just have him walk to first than hit a home run and go all the way around, right? That makes sense. As a like, from a team dynamic, that makes sense. As I grew older, I realized, hey, intentionally walking is actually not a bad idea. It's actually a very good idea. Um, especially when you have batters like that, or especially when the game is on the line and you, you're only down by, you know, you're up by one run and this batter can hit a home run. Yeah, it makes sense walking, right? I'm not above intentionally walking people, even in church softball. I intentionally walked somebody in church softball this year. I hated doing it, but I did it because I want to win, right? It's embarrassing to walk somebody in church softball, but I did because I was what was best for the team. Now, we lost, but I at least attempted. Um, so I tried to put our team in the best position to win. Um, but the intentional walk is used because it helps the team. As a pitcher, you do that. You go out of your way to give somebody what they want, even though it's inconvenient for you. You go out of your way to say, okay, I know this is what you want, and I know this hurts me right now, or I know this is inconvenient for me right now, but in the long run, it's going to help me. Or in the long run, it's doing something that I know will help the rest of my team, even though it might hurt my statistics, right? That's what intentional is all about. In baseball, that's what it's all about. In life, it's about the same thing. See, when you're intentional in life, 
What it's all about is going out of your way for a specific purpose or reason to do something for somebody else. Or going out of your way for a specific purpose that may be inconvenient for you. Or may not be necessarily in the best interest of you right now. But it's taking the time to realize, hey, this is something that needs to be done that is not something that I would normally do. Because in baseball, you're not going to normally walk somebody because that's just not what you do. Your goal is to get them out. In life, being intentional is doing something for a specific reason other than what you would normally do. And I think so often in life, what inevitably happens is we kind of fall into this routine. Um, we sort of, we, we wake up, uh, we go to work, we drive home, we run some errands, uh, we cook dinner, we go to bed, and we do that five days a week. And we, ju- we just fall into this routine where it's just the same thing every day. Well, and then on the weekend, we even have our weekend routines too, right? Like we say, oh, yes, thank you for the weekend because I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch college football all day Saturday. And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch NFL all day Sunday. And then I'm going to wake up and go to work five days a week again and do it all over again, right? Like we have these routines seven days a week that we just sort of seem to fall into. And if we're not careful about being intentional about life, that routine just kind of takes over us and it sort of turns into this kind of selfish cycle of doing whatever it is that we want to do for ourselves over and over and over again without us even really realizing it. It turns into this never-ending cycle of complacency and sort of um, contentment that we're like, eh, this is what I do every day, so yeah, it's fine. Let's just do the same thing over and over and over. We don't necessarily go out of our way to, to change that. We don't necessarily go out of our way to say, okay, you know, I know this is what I've been doing, but maybe, just maybe, I should break that routine and do something else. We, we, don't really, we don't really do that because we're so set and focused on our ways that it kind of lulls us into a sense of forgetfulness, right? We sort of kind of forget that, hey, everything that we do and everything that we have is not because of the job that we work, is not because of the errands that we run, is not because of the things that we can buy because we go to work and have a job, but it all comes from God. It's not a manifestation of what we do. It's a manifestation of what he has done for us. And in this routine, it kind of lulls us into this sense of forgetting that. It kind of turns our routine into saying, you know what? Hey, God, I know that you provided for us, but if I don't go to work and do this on a daily basis, you know, I'm not going to have the stuff. I'm not going to have a house that protects me. I'm not going to have a car that keeps me safe and makes my life easier so I don't have to walk to work. Now, obviously, yeah, you've got to go to work and do that sort of stuff because that's what being, you know, an adult and a person is all about. Um, But at the same time, if we keep going through the routine, we kind of forget that everything comes from God in the first place. Because so easily, he could take it out from under us like that. Then where's our routine at, right? So it sort of lulls us into this sense of forgetfulness. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily something to feel bad about, because it's not. It's not something to really feel guilty or feel bad about, because we've all done it. Everybody in this room has been sort of, I guess, you you have experienced this at one point or another in your life, where you just fall into this, we call it a rut, basically, where you're just going throughout your life and nothing seems to change. And about two months into it, you're like, where did these two months go? What have I been doing for these last two months? And you realize, oh, nothing. I've been doing the same thing for two months, right? 
So it's not anything that's necessarily to feel bad or feel guilty about because we've all done it. But rather what we should do is we should recognize that pattern so that way when we fall into it, we can do something about it. We can fix it. When we notice, hey, I'm sort of taking this routine and I'm not really, you know, doing anything else other than, you know, going to work and doing this and doing this and doing the same thing every day. When we see that, we should kind of recognize that and say, hey, okay, this is what's happening. Let me do something outside of that. Let me do something outside of that routine. Let me do, be intentional about getting outside of that routine. Let me be intentional about doing something for somebody else, right? And I think that um, the Bible gives us really, really good examples of how to live our life intentionally. Um, not just for God or not just as like living an intentional Christian life, but also living a life intentionally for ourselves too and for the people that we love. Because we're going to talk about two different types of intentional living today where the Bible gives us really good examples about what to do for God, like how to live like intentionally for Christ, but at the same time, how to live intentionally for one another. Um, outside of sort of just a biblical aspect. We're going to kind of break apart from that in a minute. Um, but the Bible gives us really good examples of that. There's a lot of examples all throughout the Bible and all throughout different stories about where God is telling people, hey, be intentional about what you're doing. Now, he may not come out and say the words be intentional, but that's essentially what he's doing. If you think about it, all these Old Testament stories that we've been reading, all of these prophets about, you know, um, like Joseph and Moses and David and all these sorts of people that we've been talking about over the past year and a half, one of the common themes of the Old Testament is remembering where you came from. If you remember in a lot of these stories God talks about, he's always trying to remind the Israelites, hey, remember, you were once slaves. You were once totally dependent on me. You were once totally, you know, like lost without me. I helped you get to where you're at. God constantly reminds them of that because these Israelites, they would forget and they would, you know, get a big head and they would get all cocky and they would say, no, 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 now I can live by myself. Now I can do this by myself. Now I can do this and this and this. I don't need you, God. And then what would happen? They, they would fall and something bad would happen. God would have to lift them back up again. And that's what happens. So all throughout the Old Testament that we've been talking about, all these Old Testament characters, God has been, you know, telling these people, hey, remember, don't fall into this routine. Be intentional about remembering where you came from. Be intentional about remembering what I've done for you. So I think that's kind of what we're going to focus on a little bit today. I've only got like four verses that I'm going to read to you. Uh, but those four verses are really important. And I think they give a very, very good example of what intentional living is like. So we're actually going to be in Colossians 4, verses uh, 2 through 6. Now, this actually comes from, um, from Paul. So this is when Paul was in prison, and he was writing a bunch of letters to different churches and things like that uh, while he was in prison. This was to the church at Colossians, um, and he was giving them sort of this letter on, hey, this is how you should live. He was giving them advice on how they should live. Uh, and so, so I, we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to start, and I'll just go ahead and read verses 2 through 6 to you, and then we'll break them down piece by piece. So Colossians, two, uh, Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. So let's go back to just uh, two through four here. We're going to take it just bit by bit. Um, And look what Paul says here about prayer in verses two through four. He talks about prayer. That's the very beginning part of this. So it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul is saying here, hey, be, be diligent about your prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. You should be praying all the time. Make sure that is a part of who you are. Uh, This was also written by Paul, who also wrote the verse in another chapter that said, pray without ceasing, meaning you should be praying all the time. You should never go a day. You should never have a time in your day where you're not in a spirit of prayer and thankfulness. You should pray in the morning. You should pray in the afternoon. You should pray after lunch. You should pray at night. You should pray before you go to bed. You should pray all the time. You should be in a constant state of prayer. Now, that's hard. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't walk around saying prayers all day long. I, just, I, don't, I don't do it. It's hard for me to like, get that much attention and focus on that. But that's our goal, and that's what we should aim to. We should be mindful, and we should be in a time of prayer all the time. That's something that we should make sure that we're doing. That's the way we communicate with God. That's the way we communicate with our creator, with our father, is through prayer. You know, if I didn't you know, talk to, to my mom all the time. I mean, how would she know that, you know, that I still want to talk to her and that I love her if I don't talk to her, right? We have to talk to God. That's our way that we talk to him. That's the way we talk to our father through our creator is through prayer. If we're not doing that, then it's like we're not talking to our parents. We're not talking to the person who gave us life. That's huge. The creator of the universe, the person who created you, has given you a free line to talk to him and wants you to talk to him all day, every day. And we don't do that, which it's pretty crazy to me that he's given us the ability to do that, and he says in his word that, hey, I want you to talk to me every morning, every evening, every night, before bed, when you wake up, like, and we don't do that. We don't take advantage of that. Not only does Paul mention right here when he wants us to pray, which is all the time, he also mentions what he wants us to pray. What should we be praying for? He mentions two things in verse 3. It says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, and that we may proclaim it in the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. What is he praying for here? He's praying for two things. He's praying for the opportunity to share the gospel, and he's praying that they should proclaim it clearly. Two things, that he should be open doors to have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, and then when he does get the opportunity, to proclaim it clearly. Now, I don't know about you, those are not two things that I pray for on a daily basis most of the time. When I do pray, and I try to pray as often as I can, and often as I remember to, and often as I get the opportunity to, which, like I just mentioned, is, is not as much as I should, those are not two things that are on the top of my list to pray for for open doors, and to be able to proclaim the gospel clearly. And what I've noticed, what I really pray for is actually very selfish. I pray for things like, uh, most of the time when I pray, it's, God, you know, I'm having a bad day. Please help the rest of this day go smoothly. Or when I'm on my way to work, God, you know, I have an awful migraine today. Please just let my little sixth graders not get on my nerves, and please let them not talk to me for the rest of the day so I can get rid of this headache. Or, you know, God, we have a, uh, we have a girls' basketball at a game today. Please don't let us get blown out of the gym, right? Like, that's what I find myself praying for. The selfish. 
what I found is the less that I'm intentional with my life or the, the, the more times where I'm stuck in my routine doing the same thing over and over every day, the more my prayers get to be about me. The less intentional I am with my life about, you know, living for God and praying, the more bland and vanilla my prayers get. Praying for things like for myself, like protection or provision or something like that. Instead of praying for other people, instead of praying for open doors, instead of praying to proclaim the gospel and save people, I'm praying that uh, my girls don't get blown out of the gym, right? Now, that's not necessarily bad, but it's selfish, the, the, more that we, the more that we are intentional about reaching others, the more that we're intentional about breaking out of our routine and doing something for God and doing something for others, that's when our prayers will begin to sound more like what Paul wants. And the ultimate evidence of that, to me, of Paul living an intentional life is the context of which this was written. Paul's in prison. He's been in prison. He's in chains. He is captured. He is locked away. He is locked up. He is not comfortable. But yet, he's not praying for protection and provision. He's not praying, God, get me out of jail. He's not praying, hey, come save me, church. I'm in jail. He's saying, no. Can you save other people? Can you, you know, priest play that I can share the gospel clearly with the people in the prison? That is not the first thing that I'd be praying if I was in prison. I'd be praying, dear Lord, please get me the heck out of here. I'm going to get killed. Not, hey, God, please let me share gospel with these people who want to kill me. That is the ultimate sort of depiction of what living an intentional life is all about. Is when you're in the midst of struggling, but you're intentional about God, and you're intentional about doing something for somebody else, your, your prayers begin to look more like Paul's and less like mine. Because I'll be honest, my prayers are super selfish. That's really the only time I pray most of the time, if I'm being honest, is, God, I'm having a bad day, please help me. God, please help this person. God, please help me help this person, right? It's all about me, 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 me. That's not what he wants. Be intentional about praying for other people. Be intentional about praying for those opportunities and clarity to share the gospel with other people. That's what is most important when we talk about prayer. Let's go to verse 5. Colossians 4, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. So being intentional doesn't just affect the way that we interact and talk with God through prayer, because that's what we just talked about. It also has to do with the way we interact towards others, towards other people, not just through prayer, but each other. What I love about this verse, if you translate it back really far to the original language, um, and I didn't do it, I Googled it, um, what this verse actually says, instead of make the most of every opportunity, it says buy up every opportunity. And I really like that, because what that is, what Paul is saying here is say, hey, take every opportunity you can to act wise towards outsiders. Buy up every opportunity you can to present the gospel to people. Buy that up like, like you're on Black Friday and you're going and buying all these deals, right? Buy up all those opportunities. And I love that. But here's the, here's the key to all of that, though. You can't buy up the opportunity if you're not intentionally looking for it. You can't buy something if you're not intentionally out seeking it. Like on Black Friday, I bought a lot of stuff. I'm not going to lie. I bought a lot of stuff. But I wouldn't be there buying stuff if I didn't go out to look for it. It's not just going to show up at my doorstep. Amazon's not just going to drop it on my doorstep with a drone. 
they might if somebody else buys it for me. Um, but in order to buy up an opportunity, you have to intentionally look for it. You have to seek it. You have to search for it. If you don't do that, opportunities are just going to pass you by every day. I saw a really awesome quote that was talking about, um, it said that if you continue to look in your rearview mirror, by the time you look out your front windshield, you've run over every opportunity that you had ahead of you because you were too busy looking at your past. And I love that because if you're not looking forward, if you're not being intentional about looking out the way that you're going, you're too busy getting distracted by things on the side or what happened behind you, you're going to miss every single opportunity that God put in your path. You're going to miss it. So it's not just that we capitalize on the opportunities. We don't have the ability to capitalize on the opportunities if we don't see them coming in the first place. So you got to be intentional about looking for these opportunities when you have them. And I think there's really two sides to this, to opportunities. One side is the biblical side, which is, you know, you got to make sure that you're looking for every opening that somebody gives you to, to you know, talk about Christ or to, you know, try to have a gospel-centered um, relationship or something like that. Um, or, you know, by the way you act. Let me just tell you, whether you think people are looking at you or not, they are. I promise you they are. They're watching you, even if you don't think they are. Even if you don't know who the person is, they're watching you. Not in a creepy kind of way, but they're, 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 looking, for you to mess, they're looking for you to mess up. They're waiting for you to say something that they can come back and say, I thought you were a Christian, or I thought you were supposed to be this kind of person. Look what you just did over here. They're looking and they're waiting for those opportunities. I can remember when I was in high school, I played in the, uh, in the youth band at the church that I attended. I was one of the youth leaders and things like that. And at school, uh, I remember there was this one time where I did something that I knew I definitely shouldn't have done. And I knew it was something that was not right. It was something that was going to get me in trouble. And all I can remember from that after that is somebody coming up to me. Somebody I didn't even know. Well, I knew who they were, but we weren't friends. We didn't talk. And they said, hey, aren't you, um, don't you play drums in the youth band at church? And I was like, oh, uh, yes, yes, I do. That was a hard conversation to have. A person who I didn't even really know, who didn't even really know me, we just went to school together, came up to me and saw me be a bad representation of what Christ should be like. When I didn't think anybody was looking, when I didn't think anybody was around who knew me, when I didn't think anybody was around that would say anything, that person saw me act as a bad representation of what Christians should act like. And that hurt. That hurt me. Because I didn't expect it. And that's just to say, people are watching you. Whether it's your other classmates, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's your bosses, whether it's your, your parents, if you have children, they're watching every single thing that you do. Be mindful of that. Be mindful to take these opportunities. When you see an opportunity to do something bad or do something that you know should not be done, don't do it. Because somebody will see you do it. And somebody will see you set a bad example. Make sure you're diligent and vigilant to make sure those opportunities don't overtake you. Turn those opportunities into something good. Turn those opportunities into something that is positive and gives a positive representation of Christ, unlike myself. Because it hurts. It's rough. Um, another thing that the second side, that was the biblical side. Another side that I just, uh, is a quick aside that I want to mention. 
is how you treat other people and how you react to other people. And this is not for just Christians in the room. This is for everybody. This is something that's really been laid on my heart um, recently is about being intentional to other people. When we get stuck in our rut and we get stuck in our routine, we tend to sort of forget about what everybody else is going through. We sort of forget about maybe their feelings or what they're going through because we're all focused on ourselves because we're just worried about what's going on in our life that we sort of forget what's going on in other people's lives. And that could be like your spouse, your children, your best friend, right? You could be so close to these people and still not really understand what they're going through because you're so focused on what's going on in your life and the routine that you've got in front of you. You've got to be intentional about talking to other people and being attentive to their needs. Intentionality is huge in any sort of relationship, any kind of relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a family relationship, whether it's a marriage, or like if you're seriously dating somebody, intentionality is huge. In friendships, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a very good friend. I'm not a very good, I'm not good with relationships. I'm trying. I really am. But I'm not intentional. Because, see, when you have friends, a best friend or any kind of friend, especially when you get out of school and out of college and you each kind of have your own lives and you don't see each other every day, being a good friend is really difficult. Because you have to go out of your way to contact them or go out of your way to make plans with them, even when it may not be convenient for you or even when it's not convenient for them, because you have to hang out with them because you're not at a central location every day. Because you know you're not going to see them at school for eight hours a day. Because you know you're not going to go to college and have that class with them or, you know, whatever. Not going to go to work and see them. When you're doing two separate lives, it's hard. My friend and I have a running joke that um, we've been friends since, like, fifth grade. Um, we have a running joke that we weren't friends for six months. And the reason being is because my friend was the one who always initiated stuff. He would always be the one to say, hey, let me come pick you up and we'll go hang out. Or, hey, let's do this and plan this. And, hey, we'll meet here. And he was the one to text me first and all that sort of stuff. So all of a sudden, he decided to prove a point. And he said, hey, I'm not going to contact you first because, you know, it should be a two-way street. I didn't talk to him for six months. Not because I hated him. Just because I'm not intentional about doing that sort of thing. It's not because I didn't want to hang out with them. It's just because I'm not good at communication. I'm not good at taking time out of my day to be intentional about dealing with somebody else's feelings and caring for somebody else. It's hard for me. We're okay now. We hang out now. Um, but he's the one that still does most of the communication, but at least he understands that, um, that I'm working on it. But intentionality is huge even in just a friendship. You have to make sure that you have that communication and you're intentional about caring for somebody else. Even in a family situation. Um, once I moved out from my parents' house and I got, you know, I moved out on my own um, and I got married, you know, it, that constant communication that I had with my mom because I lived there sort of stopped. Um, because I didn't see her on a daily basis, right? Now we have to be intentional about talking to her. I have to be intentional about taking time out of my day to, 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 to text her or call her or, you know, hang out with her if, you know, she's in town or something like that, right? We have to be intentional about that. And I'm not very good at that. So I know there are times when she texts me and I just don't ever get around to texting her back and then she thinks that I'm mad or I'm upset or something. That's not it. It's just I'm not good at it. It's not that I hate my mother because I, I don't. I love her. But it, it's hard. I have good intentions. 
but I'm not, I don't take those intentions and act on it to be intentional to respond or be intentional to make time to show her that, hey, I still care about you or, hey, I promise I'm, I'm, I'm trying, right? I'm not good at that. I'm learning very quickly that intentionality in marriage is a huge deal too. It is huge to make sure you are still intentional in marriage. Even after, I mean, Brittany and I have only been married almost a year. Um, but some people, you know, you're going on 10, 15, 20, 30, however many years, intentionality is still key. Guys, after you, 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 you know, when, when you're dating and, and, you, and you play the dating game and then finally, you, you know, you get engaged and then you, like, win the game by getting married, right? Like, that, that's how you win the dating game is you get married. You find somebody that you want to marry and they somehow say yes to you and, and you win, right? Once you do that, that is not an invitation to stop playing the game. Once you win and get married, that is not an invitation to stop playing the game. If you look at, um, like, huge college football programs like Alabama or Clemson or, or, or teams that are really, really stinking good every year, that win the championship every single year, it's because they don't stop playing the game just because they win. There's an interview with Nick Saban that I saw a couple years ago after he won a national championship. They asked him, you know, hey, how long will you celebrate this national championship? He's like, the rest of the night, and then we'll be back at it again tomorrow. It's like, what? You just won the championship. Like, why, why do you go back and still continue to do this even after you just won? Well, that's what makes him so good. That's what makes him a winner, right? In our marriages, in our relationships, we have to be the same way. Once we get married, doesn't mean the game's over. You continue to play to get better. You continue to play. Do you continue to still play the dating game? Because that's important to be intentional to do things for other people, to do things for your spouse, I'm trying recently, once we've gotten married, once Brittany and I have gotten married, that I, I'm trying to be intentional about doing something, whether it's just, you know, when she has to work late, you know, helping start dinner so she's not having to totally start from scratch when she, get home to, when she gets home at 8.30. Or, you know, intentionally um, unloading the dishwasher so she doesn't have to do that so she can just load when she gets home. Or, you know, starting a load of laundry so she doesn't have to do that when she gets home at 8.30. Right? It's the little things that doesn't really seem all that important. But to me at the time, that cuts into my five minutes of Xbox time and that makes me angry. Right? If we're just being honest. It's five minutes of my time that I'm not going to get back and that's what makes me angry. But those little things mean so much to her. When she comes through the door and she sees that, hey, the meat for dinner is already cooked. All you have to do is, like, prep and make the sides, right? That means the world to her. But it took all I had to stop playing Xbox for five minutes and make that, right? But that's what being intentional is all about. It's about doing those little things that you don't think really matters, that you're going out of your way to do something for somebody else. That's what being intentional and living an intentional life is about. And that's what I'm talking about here. I don't want to just take this from a biblical perspective. Just some life advice and a life perspective. Be intentional in your relationships. It means the world. It really, really does. It's key. All right, let's move on to uh, verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul here is talking about our speech. He's talking about the way we should talk to people. He's talking about the way we communicate with people. Um, and what I love about this is that very last part where it says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What Paul is sort of insinuating here is that not everybody responds the same way. Not everybody communicates the same way. Not everybody sort of 
understands things the same way as another person. This is one of the biggest things, one of the biggest barriers that I've sort of found during my two years of teaching so far that makes me the most frustrated more than anything is I can be up here teaching a room full of 35 kids and 15 of them will get it and then 20 of them say, I have no idea what you just said to me. Like, how do you not get it? These other 15 get it. How do you not get it? Like, I can't be more clear than what I just was for them. Clearly they get it. Clearly something is wrong with you, right? And that frustrates the crap out of me because I just don't understand it. This is how I get it. Why don't you get it? So then I have to take time to figure out another way to explain something so these other 20 kids get it. And out of that, 15 of them might get it, and five of them are still like, oh, yeah, I don't get it. I'm like, well, that's because you weren't paying attention. I can't help that, right? But it, 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 that's what's frustrating is that not everybody communicates the same way. Not everybody sort of learns and understands things the same way as somebody else. So in your speech, you have to be cognizant of that when you're talking to other people. Again, two different ways here. Let's talk about a biblical perspective of speech, right? If you're presenting the gospel or preaching or doing anything to somebody else, just because you understand it in your head when you say it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get it. You have to be prepared with different angles to take so that you may be able to answer everyone. Some people may have questions that you don't know how to answer. That's okay, right? That's what the Bible's for. That's what, you know, having mentors is for. So you can go to ask them. But you have to know different ways to answer different questions and how to talk to different people because everybody communicates differently. That's important when you're trying to present the gospel to people. Not everybody's going to get it, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you're bad at presenting the gospel. It doesn't mean you're bad at, like, evangelizing or saving people. It just means that you have to realize there's different ways to do it to help other people get it. Now, let's talk about it from a life perspective, right? Being intentional with your speech. Being intentional with the way you communicate with other people. Something that Brittany and I went through that was huge during our premarital counseling that we did before we got married was love languages, right? Five love languages. Figuring out how does your spouse, how does the person, how does your partner receive love? Because that's huge. It's really important to understand that because if you don't, you're going to be trying to give them love in ways that they don't really want or ways that aren't, don't really matter to them. This was huge for Brittany and I's relationship because before we kind of did this love language thing, I didn't really understand why what I was doing was not working um, until we did the love languages sort of, um, uh, sort of like study. And I realized that number one on her list is words of affirmation. She needs to hear that. She needs to hear me say, hey, Brittany, I love you. Hey, Brittany, I care about you. Hey, Brittany, thank you for doing this. Words of affirmation, that's huge for her. On my list, it's at the very bottom, right? Words of affirmation are not big to me. So because they were not big to me, whenever we were dating, you know, before we did this study, she would say things like, you know, well, do you love me? And why, why don't you tell me you love me? And that's what I'm like, you should just know that I love you, right? Like, you should just know. Of course I still love you. I'm still here, aren't I? Like, I don't get it. Because that's how I think. I don't need to hear that every day. Now, obviously, it's nice. Yes, I love to hear that. But it's not, the, it's not the main way that I receive that. But it is for her. So one of the main things that I had to change my mindset when we got married was to say, okay, I need to be intentional about saying these things to her. I need to be intentional about doing things this way so that way that's how she receives love, right? That's huge. Communication and intentional and being intentional about those things are huge. 
So when we talk about being intentional, those are just sort of a couple different ways that God's been really working on me is I need to stop living life so quickly. I need to stop living life so fast. I need to slow down, take life as it comes, and be intentional about doing different things. In both ways, right? About, in, about being a Christian and just in, in life. I need to be intentional about praying and praying for other people, not myself. I need to be intentional about sort of, you know, looking for opportunities to talk to people. I need to be intentional about instead of, you know, just going to the, gro- or the gas station every morning and getting something to drink, I need to be intentional about looking, hey, does this cashier, you know, does he want to talk to me? Like, is this an opportunity you're giving me? Or, you know, if there's somebody who needs help, you know, going out of my way, say, hey, is there something I can do for you, right? Looking for those opportunities, buying up those opportunities that we talked about. But you can't buy them up if you're not searching. And the only way you can do that and search is to slow down. Life's not a race. Life goes by way too fast for it to be a race already. You don't want to speed life up, right? I'm 27, I think. 27 or 28, I don't remember which. Um, I think I just turned 27, I'm not sure. Um, I always have to ask my wife. After 21, I stopped counting. Um, but these last, like, six years since I, like, since I turned 21, or even since I graduated high school, really, we were talking the other day, um, like, my 10-year high school reunion, right, is in, like, two years. I'm like, where in the, well, actually, close to a year now. I was like, where the heck did time go? What have I been doing for 10 years, right? It went by so fast. You got to slow down. Be intentional. Because what I don't want to happen is for me to get 30, 40 years old and look back on my 20s and say, what did I do for my whole 20s? I want to be able to look back and stop and say, okay, I can remember times where I took time out of my life to do something for somebody else, to do something awesome. I need to take that time, right? I need to be intentional about that. That's what's so important. And that's something that God has really been pressing on my heart. You know, and if he's pressing it on mine, I'm sure there's at least one person in here who needed to hear it as well. You've got to be intentional. If we bring it all back around to the intentional walk, to the baseball analogy, as we close here, an intentional walk is all about getting out of your comfort zone and doing something that you wouldn't normally do. It's about upsetting your rhythm. It's about doing something that you don't really see a point in that's hurting you, but it's helping somebody else. In life. It's the same thing. You got to stop. Get out of your rhythm. It's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to get out of your rhythm. It's okay to do something that you don't normally do. That's okay, right? Take time this week or whenever, especially throughout the Christmas season, where people are always about me, 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 and gifts and things like that. Please take time and stop. Slow down. Christmas is like, I don't know, like three, four weeks away. I don't really know. I don't do time well. Three, four weeks away. Take time and stop. Slow down. Enjoy it. Be intentional with the way you talk to God through prayers. Be intentional with the way you do life as a Christian. But also, and more, and more importantly, be intentional with your family. Be intentional with your friends. Be intentional with your spouse. Take time for them, especially this holiday season when it gets so busy and hectic and crazy. Take time to be with your friends. Take time to spend intentional Christmas time with your family. It means the world. It may hurt you because you're so busy. It means the world to your kids, parents. It really does. Take time for your spouse. Yesterday, good example as we close here, 
Brittany was trying to put up all of our Christmas decorations because it was the day after Thanksgiving, and that's like the earliest time you can legally do it, right? Um, well, my rule, anyway. She wanted to put the Christmas tree up like two weeks ago, but I told her no. Um, but she was trying to put up these Christmas decorations, and she was trying to wrap all these gifts, and she was asking me to help, but I was getting really upset because I was trying to watch football. I was trying to watch Georgia Tech get killed. Not that I really wanted to watch it after the first half, but um, – and I, got a, and I got a little frustrated. I was like, why, woman, are you asking me to do stuff? I had to stop, and I had to remember what I was doing. I was typing my sermon at the time. I had to stop saying, okay, God, thank you. This is, this is a sign, right? I need to stop. I need to be intentional. I need to take time to do this with my wife. It's important to her. It's important that we decorate our house for Christmas. It's the first time we've done it in our new home as a family. It's important. It's important to her. I need to stop, be intentional, and take that time. It means the world to her. Please look for those opportunities throughout these holidays. Please look for opportunities to be with your family, to do things for your spouse, to be with friends, and opportunities to share Jesus in this Christmas season. That's what it's all about, right? It's Jesus. So take that time. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this awesome Sunday that you've given us, God. Just the ability to be able to gather here and, and, and hang out and talk about you, God. Uh, thank you for for everything that you've done for us, God. We know that there's nothing we do, we know there's nothing we can do apart from you. You give us everything. And most of the time, how we repay you in return is we forget that you give us that, and we get into a rut, and we sort of kind of forget where we came from, and we kind of are all about ourselves and all about me, 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 and we, we sort of forget that you're the whole reason we're here. So, God, I pray that as we go throughout this next week and throughout the, the Christmas season, God, that you just, you, you just make us stop. You make us focus on you, and you make us be intentional. God, you, you, you stop us to, let it, to make us hang out with our family. You stop us to, to make time for our friends and tell them how much we care about them and that we're thankful for them. God, that you stop us with our spouse and that we just take time to be intentional and spend time and do things for them, even though it may not be what we want to do, God pray that you give us that time, and I pray that you make us cognizant and aware of the opportunities that you're giving us, God, to be intentional. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jim.